if you take your uh, thumb and forefinger of your right hand and you pinch the flesh below the thumb on the other hand, you'll you'll mm-hmm. feel uh, what many succulents succulent leaves feel like. That was Deborah Lee Baldwin who joins us on the podcast today. Really excited to have her on board. She's an expert in succulents, and we had a fantastic chat about succulents, how to get into collecting them, growing them, and obviously we see them as houseplants in the UK, but uh, Deborah actually grows quite a lot of them outside. Before we start the podcast, um, I mentioned last week we're going to do a special with my mother and father, my mum and dad, um, about the history of our nursery. We started jotting bits down, writing stuff, and and really getting into that, because um, a lot of people, especially you listening to the podcast, probably don't know that uh, horticulture goes over 100 years uh, back in our family. Um, so we've got a lot of history, a lot of things to talk about, and we're really excited to start recording that and getting into that um, and hoping to have that out for Christmas. But like I said, we've got our interview with Deborah Lee Baldwin, which was really, really good. We had a, an amazing chat. We actually chatted for quite a long time. We actually chatted for probably an hour either side of the recording as well. Um, we both have a shared passion in gardening and helping people get into it. Um, so yeah, a lot of um, shared passions there. So we really enjoyed doing that. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. So without further ado, let's start the podcast. Hi, you're listening to Plants and Me, the podcast that is all about plants, gardening, and the people who are passionate about them with your host, Alan Lodge. Welcome to the podcast, Deborah. Well, thank you, Alan. Thank you for having me. This is this is quite an honor. You know, here in Southern California, uh, we have such a, a reverence for all things British gardening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. the ultimate. You know, we we have you all on a pedestal over there. You're you're the ultimate. Oh, thank you very much. It's very, very nice to hear that. I'm not entirely sure we we live up to that pedestal, but um, <laughs> but it is still still nice to hear. Um, so tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, let's see. Gee, there's so much to tell. Uh, I want to be focused on what will benefit your listeners the most, and uh, I imagine you know because I am uh, a succulent expert. Modesty aside. That's probably what you're most interested in is uh, how you can grow succulents in Great Britain. And uh, happy to answer any questions you have. You know, keep in mind that um, my climate is very different from yours, but mm-hmm. I do field questions from all over the world. And um, as far as who I am and why people would even ask me, I've written three best-selling books about succulents, Uh, Succulent Simplified, which is a good overview for the beginner, Designing with Succulents, which is primarily about using the plants in ground uh, applications, landscapes, gardens, and uh, also succulent container gardens. So obviously that's about growing the plants in portable uh, containers, anything that can be moved and, you know, perhaps most ideally for you, sheltered when the weather mm. turns to cold or wet or however inhospitable to these plants. Um, so, you know, I imagine you're wondering, well, uh, yeah, you know, tell us about succulents or maybe you're wondering, well, I don't know, you tell me. Well, actually, I was I was thinking actually a, a very good place to start is um, what is a succulent? Ah, perfect. Yes. Uh, well, if you take your uh, thumb and forefinger of your right hand and you pinch the flesh below the thumb on the other hand, you'll you'll mm-hmm. feel uh, what many succulents succulent leaves feel like. They're they're fleshy. And they, mm-hmm. they have that little bit of yield. They're sort of soft. And as the name implies, uh, they, they have a juicy content. They have a, uh, the quality of succulents. And this is an adaptation mm-hmm. for growing in arid, inhospitable climates uh, where the plants 
have to endure months and months of drought. And in order to do that, they store moisture in their leaves and tissues, sometimes in their stems, and that enables them to draw on that moisture as there's just no external moisture to be had. So they're water storage plants, and that is so crucial to understanding and growing them because, well, Alan, as you know, the secret to growing any plant is to replicate its native conditions as closely as possible. Mm. So what do you do in a damp climate or one that gets a whole lot more rain than these plants are used to? Well, clearly you keep them on the dry side. And uh, you try to protect them from excess moisture because that, and that's probably the question I get asked the most is how do I avoid killing my succulents by giving them too much or too little water? Hmm. So the, you know, the answer to that is, uh, well, you know, the more you understand about any plant, the better you can grow it. And with succulents, basically, If the soil goes entirely dry, and this is a broad Mm -hmm. generalization because, of course, there's so many thousands of different succulents, but if the soil goes entirely dry, what will happen is that the plant is forced to live off the moisture in its tissues. Now, some people oversimplify this and they say, drench, drain, and dry as the way to water succulents. But if you think about it, do you really want that soil to entirely dry out? To go dry as an old bone? Because what will happen then? The roots will desiccate. Now, that is not death to a succulent. Because remember, it can live off its leaves. But if you want a plant that is growing and thriving and getting bigger and, you know, healthy and vital... It kind of needs its roots because it's going to need to draw moisture and nutrients from the soil. I don't know about the the soil or or compost um, in the area you're in, but certainly in the UK um, and certainly pot-grown plants, if you do let them dry out a massive amount, even if a succulent will cope with that, it's very, very hard to get moisture back into that compost. It just won't take it up. Mm, Kind of bounces off of it, huh? Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, we recommend here a very coarse, fast-draining soil. And in our nurseries, you can buy what's called bagged, or rather, it's bagged, and what it's called is cactus mix. Now, Mm -hmm. cactus mix is a general term for a, a potting soil that has a high percentage of pumice or perlite in the mix. And we mm-hmm. we have pretty good sources of pumice here, which is what the collectors and the growers prefer. But if you can't get that, then perlite, which are those, those little white grains. Uh, pumice is mm-hmm. also white grains, but they're larger and uh, they're not inert like, uh, well, I'm getting too too technical here. but No, not at all. No, no, you carry on. <laughs> But the point is, a a good, fast-draining mix is not going to compact like a soil that is high in peat, where it loses its moisture, it turns into a solid block, and then just try to dehydrate it. You have to soak it in order to get it back. Um, So I don't recommend trying to grow succulents in um, a mix that's going to do that. Your high peat mixes that you have I, I believe you have. It's my assumption that you have there in Great Britain. It's um yeah, it's certainly it there's a definitely a move away from peat and, and rightly so, because it's um it is a, a finite um there's a finite amount of peat and it's it's going very, very quickly. And certain the majority of nurseries, if not all nurseries, are are reducing or completely eradicating peat. And certainly that's what we've been doing for, for quite some time now. Um so it is changing slowly, but interesting enough when because uh, the UK is very much geared towards garden plants um and your cottage garden plants and your your bedding plants and stuff like that. 
sometimes uh, it can be quite hard to get hold of free draining compost from a from a garden centre. It's slowly changing, but it it was traditionally quite hard to get hold of anything that would drain quick enough. Well, you know what you can do is you can sift your soil, and those larger grains that come to the surface will be an excellent potting medium for succulents. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) here I am on the other side of the planet uh, talking to you about something I really know nothing, and that is your soil. Uh, But here (laughs) in Southern California, uh, we... We tend to, I mean, despite all the marvelous things we have going for us in terms of climate, we often tend to have nutrient-poor soils. And one of the things that we'll do, we, I mean, we have decomposed granite, and uh, that, that's basically our big granite rocks have, you know, crumbled mm. away into a coarse uh, sand. And that mm. is a wonderful potting medium. It drains very quickly. It is nutrient poor. So the recommended garden soil for succulents would be a mix of compost, you know, the good rich stuff that you've been cultivating in your backyard with your garden clippings and and kitchen waste. And, uh, you know, mixing that in with the coarse sand And then if you need to enhance drainage to add the pumice. Now, if I talk about pumice, is that going to mean nothing to you or or is that something you can relate to? It's something I can relate to. I am guessing uh, it isn't something um, that is – well, I know it isn't something that's generally used in the home garden. Um, And I think perlite is something that the majority of people can relate to. Okay. Well, yeah, now – uh, I'm fine with perlite. Uh, my only problems with it, my preference for pumice, is that perlite does tend to float to the surface of the pot. And if you're mm. using it in the garden, uh, you'll actually get sort of a, I don't know, it'll 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 form a, a ring around your your potting area where you've amended the soil with it. And you know, you just mix it in and you know make it obey. But mm. <laughs> but, you know, and I think one of the reasons why you're not familiar with pumice there is you probably don't have volcanoes, I'm guessing. No. No. No, no volcanoes in the UK at all. The closest one is Italy. Okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think I'm right in saying that. <laughs> okay. Well, pumice is, is a volcanic rock. And if you've traveled to, you know, Hawaii or places where volcanoes are fairly young, uh, you'll see that lava rock, those incrustations along the beaches. And, and it, it, it looks, it looks like a sponge. It's got all these, these uh, pores and openings in it because the rock was molten and foamy. And then as it broke down, it creates these, uh, very, um, Oh, lightweight grains, they're full of air pockets. And that's why we love it as an amendment for our potting soils for succulents, because it aerates the soil, it keeps it from compacting, and ta-da, it absorbs excess moisture. And that's, you know, that's always a good thing. In fact, uh, before pumice was available horticulturally, and I mean, we're talking about how oh, as recently as 15 years ago, nobody knew about mm-hmm. it here as a horticultural amendment. I would send people to tack and feed stores where you buy supplies for horses and tell mm-hmm. them to buy a bag of um, a product called dry stall, which was pure pumice, but used to absorb excess moisture in horse stalls. And you couldn't go mm-hmm. into the tack and feed store and say, I'd like a bag of pumice, please, because they wouldn't know what you were talking about. You had to go in there and ask for a bag of dry stall. But so much has changed in the horticultural scene since succulents took off and became hugely popular that now people get it and they order pumice directly from the pumice supplier, uh, which happens to be located in a part of California where we have volcanoes. <laughs> ah, all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I'll be interesting you say uh, before they became uh, really, really popular, and certainly that's the case uh, in the UK as well, but you were writing books and you were fascinated by these plants way before they became fashionable. Am I right in saying that? Yes, and uh, well, a little bit of background on me. I am a professional garden photojournalist, and during the 90s, I covered gardening in Southern California uh, for major um, gardening publications and newspapers. We have uh, a highly revered magazine here in uh, uh, west of the Rockies, Sunset Magazine. And of course, you say that here and people are like, oh, yeah, I love Sunset. You probably never heard of it where you are. But I haven't, no. No, no, isn't that interesting? Uh, but I wrote for Sunset, which is the magazine of Western living. And it's all about uh, gardening and travel and food in the ideal uh, upscale lifestyle of California and states west of the Rockies, including Hawaii. And, you know, back in the 90s, when I was writing for Sunset Magazine, and Sunset, you know, named after the fact that the sun sets in the West, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was just about the best job a journalist can have, especially a gardening journalist, because I got to see the homes and gardens on tour before they were open to the public. I would uh, waltz in the day before the tour so I didn't have to shoot around to the lady in the red sweater. And then I would take my uh, scouting shots and I'd send them off to Sunset Magazine. And, uh, oh, you know, that was the heyday of magazines before the internet really thumped them hard and they whimpered off into a corner. But, you you know, I, I would get, I got so I really recognized what that magazine was looking for. It was a kind of a, a dream journal that people aspired to. And I would follow the landscape designers who were really on the forefront, who had the upscale clients who could afford the very best and wanted to kind of show off to their friends and have something photogenic that magazines would scramble to, to shoot and memorialize forever and raise their, you know, real estate values and everything. So the, the, um, I was doing this for several years and uh, getting, you know, great assignments. If I sold, if I sold a garden to Sunset, basically I was the writer and they would send a photographer to do the shooting. But my scouting shots got better and better over the years, especially as digital started to come on the scene and you didn't have to rely on film so much. And I was coordinating photo shoots too. I was telling the photographers what to shoot. So I knew how to tell a story with photos. So in 2004, I had one of those life-changing conversations, one of those pivotal conversations with my editor at Sunset Magazine. And she said to me, you know, Deborah, you've shown us so many photos of succulent gardens that you should do a book. And I'm like, Succulent garden? Well, okay. Yeah, I guess that's where things are trending. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and so uh, I thought, oh, and she's thinking my photos are pretty darn good too. But my immediate reaction was, why would I want to do that? I loved what I was doing. I was, you know, in a very prestigious position. Uh, people yeah. were scrambling to have me come visit their gardens. I was probably the highest paid garden writer in the United States, which is not saying a lot because, as you know, garden writers are, you know, paid very poorly. But hey, you know, I was having the time of my life. Plus, I had not done a gardening book, and I knew it would be quite a commitment. So my first question for her was, well, okay, is Sunset going to publish this? And she said, well, no, you know, we're doing regional books, but I think you'd be a good match for Timber Press. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you in the UK. I suspect it does. It does, yeah. Yeah, because Timber Press is the the most prestigious and largest and, and most respected publisher of gardening books, uh, not only in the United States, but I, I would assume, you know, much farther beyond. And uh, so I approached Timber Press with the idea. They They were impressed that Sunset thought that there was something there. And uh, 
they said, well, yeah, you know, th- this we don't see this as having a huge audience, but uh, we don't have anything in our line on succulents, so we're going to go ahead with it, and hopefully you can get your editor to write a nice blurb for the back cover. <laughs> you know, in other words, maybe we can, maybe a few people will buy this if they see the name Sunset Magazine on it. Well, as I, I researched it to a fairly well, but it was difficult because not very much were known about succulents. Succulents were the, the poor sisters of a community here in the West. The majority of gardeners were interested in having an English garden that would look good with Southern California drought-tolerant plants. And that's what I had been covering and seeking and looking for uh, for the years that I scouted for Sunset. The the succulent thing, that was what people were doing when they were into contemporary homes and they wanted simple plants in the in the foreground and, you know, just an agave here or a sculptural aloe over there. Uh, nobody was doing cactus and, uh, you know, nobody knew much about succulents. It was always only on the very high end, the custom homes, the modern homes, the, the very forward thinking designers were doing anything with them at all. So, uh, so I was, you know, like everybody else, I wanted an English garden with dry climate plants. I was very aware of trends. I mean, this whole English garden thing followed on the heels of wanting tropicals. And we went through our tropical period here in California, which meant we could have anything we wanted from the tropics as long as we poured, you know, mountains and waterfalls, you know, tons of water on the plants to keep them going in in basically what is a a high desert climate. (laughs) So so (laughs) I came up to speed pretty quickly with succulents. I as a journalist, uh, I'm a good researcher. I tracked down the experts. I, I hit my head against the wall numerous times trying to get nomenclature correct. Uh, it was, oh, you know, two or three different nurserymen would be calling the same plant by three different yeah. names. <laughs> I feel your pain on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I would find uh, I would find plants called by the incorrect name. I'd, I had to have my benchmark sources the Huntington Botanical Gardens. Timber Press wanted me to use, I think it was the Royal Botanic something or other. Um, Now I'm being vague, but I think it had some connection with Q. And what did they know about succulents? They had nothing in their their, uh, records that that we didn't have here. And so who, who would I go to? And so I went to the Cactus and Succulent Society of America. I found uh, renowned collectors and experts. I relied on them heavily. I had them proofread my manuscript. And uh, Timber Press at that time, when you're talking, you know, 20 years ago, they wanted everything very scholarly, everything by its botanical name. And so that that was, and then, then how was I going to illustrate it? I did what I called drive-by shootings. I drove up and down the streets of high-end neighborhoods in San Diego and Los Angeles looking for a succulent in a front yard. <laughs> then, and then I would shoot the, the mailbox so I knew who to ask in case I got a good photo. And I was also running around with a, uh, a cast iron uh Canon camera that shot uh, transparencies because that's what Timber Press wanted, and a digital camera because that's what I wanted. And oh, anyway, it was it was quite a challenge. But when Designing with Succulents came out in two thousand and seven, uh, you know it it basically was singing to an empty room. Uh, hmm. People people saw succulents as jade plants. And they were bored with them. And they would say things to me like, oh, succulents. I hate succulents. <laughs> I mean, they, they just, nobody cared. So, But I had good connections as a journalist. And I wrote to all my editors across the country and all my you know garden writer friends. And I said, hey, you want a review copy? And sure they did. And, uh, yeah. you know, pretty soon it started gaining momentum. And I was helped no end by the California drought. What timing? Of course, yeah. I hate to say it, Ellen, but you know what else helped me? Go on. The, the wildfires. 
okay. we were evacuated, my husband and I, we were evacuated in 2007, the same year my book came out. And suddenly everybody was looking at succulents as these water storage plants that made great perimeter plants for homes in wildfire prone areas. And one hates to capitalize on such things, but one does. And I was on TV. I was talking uh, about, you know, how to how to plant succulents as fire break plants. Um, mm. So that that didn't hurt. And then the best part was, people started seeing them aesthetically, as these amazing mm. architectural shapes. And wow, I mean. I'll never forget, and I know one of your questions you typically ask your uh, interviewees is uh, what really, you know, what was one of those things that, that really made an impact on you in your area of specialization? Mm. And I'll tell you what it was when I, when I started researching succulents back in uh, 05. I got one of the few books on the subject. I still have it here in my office. Succulents for the Contemporary Garden by, um, I'm going to pull it off the shelf, by Yvonne Cave. And Yvonne Cave had done a book. Uh, She's out of New Zealand where they can grow the plants. Mm -hmm. They have the good, you know, they have that perfect climate. And although most succulents are from South Africa uh, and not at all from Australia and New Zealand, there are certain belts Uh, banana belts throughout the world where they grow very well. Anyway, Yvonne Cave had done this phenomenal book illustrated with photos of succulents. And it was garden porn. It was so thrilling (laughs) to look at these geometric plants. And and I'm looking at my book now, and there's just post-it notes on so many pages because the photographic potential for these plants is off the charts. And as I became a professional photographer, uh, you know, segueing from doing really high, high quality scouting photos to actually illustrating a book, I focused on that. I showed them as these runway models for the garden world. And so it was way beyond the practical aspects of, okay, great, they can get through you know, six to eight months of no rain or, okay, great. You can plant them around, you know, your property line and maybe the wildfire will stop there. It became this aesthetic stampede and it was helped in no small amount by brides. Yes. Yes. Young women, because succulents look like roses, echeverias, But they come in colors that match the bride's eyes. So you can get a blue Echeveria for your bouquet and have a whole fresh color scheme. And so the whole idea of including Echeverias and and rosette succulents in bouquets took off. Hmm. And it became, I, I mean, whole businesses sprang up to sell brides succulents. Mail order businesses. I mean, they 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 killed it. They went for yeah. it, and that's always been, you know, one of those problems where okay, everybody wants them, nobody can get them, and I and I think that's so true of our industry with gardening and plants. Is if you can't drive to the source, how are you going to get it? Hmm. You know, and and. Uh, with succulents, the the shipping, the sources, the mail order, uh, it was a chicken and the egg thing. There was a scramble. You know, there's a in my area. I am um, in Southern California in the foothills northeast of San Diego, and uh, we have, you know, especially along the coast where we don't get frost, we have the ideal climate for not only succulents but I mean, we just have a nursery belt where anything can grow. If it's not succulent, you just water it. <laughs> so we have the largest grower, the largest wholesale grower here. Uh, if I had a bicycle, I could I could be there in 15 minutes. Uh, Altman plants. 
And they were perfectly positioned to take advantage of this because they had been selling color, annual color, to the big box stores, the Lowe's and mm-hmm. Home Depot garden centers across the country. So when succulents started to take off and they were propagating them more and more, they started act- adding succulents to their line. And after, you know, after a few years, I mean, we're talking about a gaining momentum situation. It didn't happen suddenly, Hmm. but as it snowballed and, uh, you know, it spread, it sparkled outward from Southern California, like a 4th of July firecracker (laughs) and, and then came to a screeching halt at the great divide of frost, not just frost, uh, and here's a common misconception. You can't grow the pretty little ones from South Africa in, in uh, Arizona. Really? No, no. I mean, we, there, there are two primary uh, regions for succulents. Uh, one is South Africa and, and Madagascar, uh, mm. the old world. And then there's the new world. There are the Americas. We have succulents here. They have succulents over there. South African succulents, which are the most highly desirable ones from an aesthetic standpoint, will not grow in the desert. Not like our native succulents will. And when I say natives, I'm talking cactus. Cactus are under the succulent umbrella. Who wants cactus? Nobody wants cactus. Except (laughs) they do now. Because yeah. there's there's a snowball effect. There's this growing sophistication. There's this awareness. And you know, as a nurseryman, that people want what they don't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas jade plant, Crassula ovata, was scorned 20 mm. years ago. And funny enough, I was going to ask you about that because um, – we, when you were explaining, I've never heard uh, this pinching your 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 thumb and uh, a finger against uh, against the other hand is a fantastic way of explaining what a succulent is. But I, one way I've always explained to people, especially uh, when they can't be there looking at a plant, is is the jade plant, which I grew up. Um, I don't know whether you call it this. I grew up knowing it as a money plant. Uh huh. Yeah, it's called that. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure why exactly. No, I, I'm guessing it's if you if you squint and you're you're a long way away from it, it might it might look like a coin, I guess. <laughs> oh, Alan, Alan, uh, I have to tell you, uh, even better when you're explaining to someone what a succulent is, mm-hmm. and and I credit Jeff Moore, a fellow uh, author and also a nurseryman uh, specializing in succulents, for this. He says, if you can step on a leaf. And it leaves a wet spot. It's a succulent. <laughs> That's fantastic. Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's a very good one. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, and when we're talking about succulents uh, for yourself, am I imagining? Um, and I'm relatively familiar with them, but nowhere near as familiar as you are. But am I imagining that all of your plants are growing outside, or is that not true? Most of them are, yes. Uh, I, uh, you know, my, my property is, uh, not ideal. Uh, I'm inland Southern California. Uh, just saying Southern California people automatically assume you can grow anything if you water it. Not, yeah. not true. I get, uh, frost in the winter. It just enough to be annoying, mm-hmm. but enough to freeze many of my plants. And I'm at an elevation of 1500 feet in the foothills. And I get near desert heat in the summer. So I'm not along the coast in the ideal maritime uh, climate. Uh, of course, I'm talking Fahrenheit here, but, uh, you know, it, it seldom drops below 40 degrees and it seldom gets hotter than 90 right along the California coast from the Bay Area south. So that's quite a banana belt. But here where I am, farther inland and at a higher elevation, I do contend with with more challenges. Moreover, I am on a steep lot. I have a half acre, and boy, do I have my microclimates. Do you know higher up, uh, my neighbors, higher up, do not get frost. 
because frost is heavy and it rolls down and mm-hmm. settles in my garden and leaves theirs completely alone. So I can look up the hill and see plants that I can't grow. Bougainvillea, for example, is the canary in the mine shaft. If you can grow bougainvillea, you don't get frost. And there are a lot of succulents you can say that about too. When it comes to jade plants, I grow not only Crassula ovata, but numerous cultivars that are beautiful, the sunset jades and the variegated jades and the weird little tubular leaved golem and hobbit uh, jades. Mm-hmm. But I can only grow them in a particular microclimate along the footprint of my house south facing. <laughs> That's it. That's where I grow my jades. Or if I really want to coddle something because I just have to have it, I'll grow it in a container on my deck because it's sheltered. Frost doesn't land on it. It's up against the building. Uh, It gets the radiant heat. And it is an east-facing deck. So I think I said in my uh, the second edition of Designing with Succulents, which came out uh, last year, that if you had a um, a video camera on fast forward of my deck, you would see echeverias whizzing all over the place because they are so light sensitive that depending on the time of the year and the angle of the sun, they're out there right along the railing, or they're you know nestled back farther away where they won't get sunburned. Hmm. Yeah, because they'll etiolate and they'll, you know, you want them to keep their symmetry and you want to keep their color, but oh gosh, give them too much and they're cooked. So yeah, so I I have a I have a meerkat's sensitivity to uh climactic changes. I watch the uh I watch the the uh the weather forecast for what's called the inland valleys uh and the orchards, the the uh, you know our area is known for avocados and oranges, and uh, they're they're frost prone. So I I watch the ranchers report. So I know if I need to run out and uh, cover my more tender plants. But I'll tell you, I've lived here for thirty years. I've gardened with succulents for twenty five of those years, and I am so over covering plants. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's like. You want to freeze? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me actually of um, when we was growing up. Um, we used to um, we used to have to cover up um, some of the plants on the nursery in the greenhouse, um, and it, as we got older, we was able to help with this. Um, but it didn't. It's not like you imagine in in your home where you take a bit of fleece and you you place it over one plant. It's this very long, and I'm—I don't remember exactly because everything, everything is much bigger when you're when you're smaller, isn't it? But I'm guessing it was around about seventy or eighty foot long, and you used to have to pull this fleece taut and then sort of get the air behind it. You'd you wiggle it a little bit, like you would try and get a kite off the ground, and you'd uh, then run across the plants. Um, from one side and then it would settle nicely on there and I remember I'll never forget that doing it as a child Um, but I know exactly what you mean um, because I'm sure it didn't it didn't annoy myself but it definitely annoyed my my parents having to go out there and cover up those plants every night well you know uh, sometimes living here you know it's like why me god but I think it I think it really was so perfect because I can relate to people who get frost. I can Mm. relate to people who contend with trying to protect their South African succulents from uh, intense sun. And had I lived in the high rent district over on the coast, and here in California, they say, if you can see the ocean, your home is worth a million dollars. I mean, right off the bat. Okay. And that's just for starters. Uh, Had I lived closer to the coast, I don't think I would have had any understanding of what a lot of my readers and followers contend with. Mm. And, and so that, that I think is a very good thing. Um, you know, I tend, to, I tend to run the gamut of, you know, holding the hands of people who are terrified they're going to kill their succulents and uh, the, you know, highly sophisticated collector who knows far more about some obscure genus than I do and trying to, you know, have an intelligent conversation with them. 
this this niche has taken off uh, far beyond what Sunset Magazine foresaw, uh, far beyond what Timber Press could could see. I mean, they when the book took off, uh, they were as flabbergasted as I. I was doing speaking engagements, and we were running out of books. We had to, you know, have second printings and and try to you know meet the demand. It was, you know, off to the races. And yeah. I quickly, you know, I did the other two books. I was the only one with any books about succulents uh, for the, um, the garden, you know, garden market hmm. uh, for three years. And you know, now the market's flooded with them. Hmm. Uh, I've gone on to uh, do numerous YouTube videos. I have well over 100 uh, with over 5 million views. And then, of course, there's social media. I mean, as a as a photographer, it's just Instagram is just mm. oh, it's a total time suck. I have I think what is it twenty five thousand followers on Instagram and over a hundred thousand on Facebook, and I doubt I would have all that if I hadn't been the first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now people are trying to jump on board and you know they're waving their hands and maybe they have great quality to offer but they're just buried. Yeah. So much yeah. is going on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And actually I think um you're the perfect person to ask because um you've been doing that a little bit longer than everyone so you've probably seen um how you haven't jumped on the bandwagon exactly it came after you so you've probably seen how people have come and, and gone and and certainly people in their home garden or in in their house have tried plants that maybe aren't quite suitable but if i wanted to suggest a succulent to, to someone have you got a particular one you always suggest try that first and, and see how you like growing them hmm well so many different factors that enter in. Mm. But I think if you're growing succulents indoors, uh, the Haworthias are a fantastic genus to pursue. And the related, uh, closely related uh, um, Gaster, what is it? Gasterias, yes. And sometimes they're intergeneric crosses. Now, these don't give you the the bang of color because as you know any low light plant tends to be in shades of green or variegated but uh, they are fabulous plants to collect they're wonderful on windowsills they're easy to grow they have the geometry that people love about succulents so I would start with Haworthias if if you just want to dip your toe in the water and maybe you're a little uncertain about what you can grow outside in the ground. Hmm. Uh, I'm thinking what else for a good beginner. I hesitate to mention jade, but there's a reason. <laughs> hey, there's a reason why it's well, common. And the reason I'm the reason I'm laughing actually is because um uh, we've got some on the nursery, and I grew up seeing this this huge um, what I knew as a money plant, but this huge jade plant, um, and it's got very fond memories of me. But I used to walk past it, not really taking any notice of it. But they are a fantastic plant. It, it just kept on going, and in this, uh, certainly in the UK, you get them in um, Chinese takeaway shops. Yeah, um, they're pretty much always in a Chinese takeaway shop and I'm told I don't know whether this is true or not but allegedly in certain cultures if they flower it's very good luck oh uh, see ours always flowered but yeah um, but yeah that's what I'm told I don't know whether that's true or not well they're so easy to propagate and what I love uh, is all the different new cultivars of jades which I mentioned earlier uh, it just astounds me what they're doing with propagation so I would say go beyond plain old ordinary jade. Look for the mini jades. Look for look for the the variegates. Uh, look for the ones with unusual shaped leaves, and you'll probably have pretty good luck with them. But they are frost sensitive. You have to be careful with that. You do have to, you know, put your fleece on them. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because we don't call it that here. So oh really? No, no. But I knew what you meant. Okay. So what do you call it there? Uh, we call it, um, well, it's a non-woven frost cloth fabric. 
we just call it frost cloth or we call it uh, floating row covers. Okay. When you said fleece, I, I imagined um, lamb's wool. <laughs> It's like, what are you doing putting that on your plants? <laughs> We've all got a sheep in the background. Here. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I actually, I'm working on a video right now. Um, it's uh, for people who subscribe to my Celebrating the Joy of Succulents newsletter on my website, DebraLeeBaldwin.com. Uh, they can download a PDF of my top seven succulents. And these are great for in-ground gardens, uh, but also for pots. There are these plants that I've grown over the decades, and they've just performed so beautifully for me and totally trouble-free, pest-free, can't say enough good things about them. And uh, I have seven, and uh, new subscribers can download the PDF, but I'm also coming out with a video, hopefully this week, on my YouTube channel, uh, that will, um, you know, where I'm actually holding them up, talking about them, showing them in gardens and pots. And they are uh, the yellow jade, the sunset jade. The uh, I talk about certain echeverias that will grow out in the open and are fabulous, of course, in pots. Mm-hmm. Some aeoniums that are shrub forming. And I know you do grow aeoniums there in the UK. I was yes, a little yeah. surprised. Uh, uh, when I was uh, looking online about, I googled succulents England. That's where I found <laughs> out about fleece last night. Right. Okay. And I was surprised to see that you could grow aeoniums there. Um, and then uh, we have a we have the um, oh the little the little aloes, uh, fabulous plants. The aloe brevifolia and aloe nobilis. I just can't say enough good things about them. They're colony forming. Uh, they they stress to beautiful colors. I like the flapjack plant, the Kalanchoe lucie, and I don't know if you have cultivars there in agaves, but we have a fabulous landscape agave here. Right. Uh, agave blue glow. And uh, I have a, a YouTube video where I caution people about growing agave americana, the century plant which, of course, is indigenous to uh, the desert southwest in Mexico and Southern California. But that Mm -hmm. thing turns into a behemoth. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, I was going to ask about the the agave because – you were recommended. I was about to say, does that get big? But obviously, I'm I'm not very good with my cultivars. There. Well, you know, and and I think people when they think of agaves, they think of the century plant as mm. if there were there was one and only agave. But there are oh dozens of species, hundreds of cultivars. In fact, I'm being conservative in that. And there's so much hybridization going on. Anybody who plants a century plant, and they're, they're free for the, the asking here because they pup prolifically. Their nurseries don't even bother to sell them because they're pass-along plants. Mm. But I'm seeing, in my own neighborhood, I'm seeing these pups, these cute little agave pups planted alongside driveways and sidewalks. Mm. And they're going to be out in the street before too long, uh, poking passers-by and, you know, marching down to my house. So I'm just not, just not real thrilled with that. And then for height in the garden, uh, I'm recommending Bocarnia recurvata or the ponytail palm, which I'm not sure if you can grow. Maybe it's a little tropical for you, but if you, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. Actually. Okay, uh, well, it's not a palm. Um, it's the elephant's foot plant, where what's succulent about it is the caudex, the water storing mm-hmm. tank. And then it has a sort of a Dr. Seuss-like um, bad hair day top of uh, strappy leaves that have a fountain shape. And, uh, you know, there just aren't that many succulent trees. So that was my recommendation for height in the garden. But anyway, the point of these top seven succulents is they've they've been foolproof plants for me. They grow great in containers as well. And you can have them in a small garden or if you have a much larger space to fill you can repeat them Mm. yeah excellent and something i always ask people and you've given loads of tips for everyone there so but something i always ask people and i think i always think it's quite important to to stress i don't know what you think is that i always ask people whether they remember any memorable failures they've had 
with the plants they grow. I was listening to one of your podcasts last night, and I thought, oh, i got to have an answer for that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, oh, my goodness, have I failed. Uh, how else do you learn? Yeah. It's all about observation, isn't it, Alan? I mean, yeah. oops, that didn't work. But I, I think the, the most significant failures are the learning experiences where, okay, shouldn't have planted that there. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, it should grow fine out in the open. And yeah, it kind of does, but it just sits there and it gets lost and uh, engulfed. Mm. So the more you know about your plants, uh the more you can situate them where they'll thrive and you'll enjoy them and you won't have those oops moments because let's face it you know gardening is not a cheap hobby you're out there you've got to have it you you buy it and oh and then probably one of my first mistakes when i first started gardening was to bring the plant home and plant it where it would be happy based on my research now, why is that a mistake? Because you end up with a mishmash. You don't have an aesthetically pleasing landscape because you've got all these plants plunked uh, according to their sun and soil and you know other requirements. Mm. So yes, you need to do that, of course, to keep them thriving and alive. But you also have to think about the aesthetics of your garden and don't you know, don't just necessarily put something somewhere because it'll be happy. You need to be happy with how it looks too. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. Um, well, thank you very much for joining us. You've given us some fantastic tips. And um, so tell people a little bit where they can find out more about you. We've mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast and recording, but um, just give people a rundown of how they can get in touch with you and find out more about you. Well, the very best place to start is my website, DebraLeeBaldwin.com. I'm very proud of it. Uh, I add to it continually as a journalist. Uh, I can't resist. Whenever I run across something I want to share. So DebraLeeBaldwin.com is the place to start. And that will direct you to the many other ways that I use my journalism skills and my passion for succulents, such as my YouTube channel, uh, Deborah, I think it's Deborah L. Baldwin, uh, Facebook. Well, basically, if you Google Deborah Lee Baldwin, you'll come up with all of these. There is. There's plenty that comes up, yeah. And my books, you know, Um to be honest, that's my main source of income, royalties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, brilliant. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us, Deborah. It's been fascinating talking to you, um, and it's been really kind of you to, to share your knowledge and your passion with us. Thank you, Alan. Really fun for me too. Brilliant. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.